Hallelujah. Have a seat. We're going to talk about Mark chapter 3. There may be a different scripture. Yeah, they use Matthew. She told me to pick because I have three different locations where that passage is. I said, pick the longest one. And then I looked and they were all the same length. They're all five verses. So she picked Matthew, but we're going to Mark. You can leave that up there. It's all right with me. I like the picture. Don't you love that? Jesus with a smile. Sometimes I think we religious folks think we're supposed to be so stern. You know, I love Jesus. Yar. You know, it's not quite like that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I don't think there's really anything that encapsulates truth more than that. God loves me. And it's been confirmed. You know, the, the Bible says that when we're saved, he deposits the Holy Spirit in us. So just like a coin going in a piggy bank, the Holy Spirit's deposited in us as an assurance that we're saved. You don't have to wonder. You know, I... I pastored in a town that was dominated by another denomination. And their belief was that we won't know till the end who's saved, and we won't know till we get there if we made it. And I thought, what a sad thing. You know, I've always been raised that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. Isn't it wonderful to be able to say that? I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. All my sins, all my failures, all my shortcomings are under the blood. And, you know, these are not small things. There are people out there that are tormented, tormented by their mistakes, tormented by their failures, tormented by their shortcomings. And God says, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. We're going to be in the book of Mark, and uh, it's not the person who made the screen up that... Uh, is wrong. I didn't tell him exactly which one I was going to use when I was studying. I decided I liked the wording of chapter 3 of the book of Mark better. It uh, points out a little bit different angle on the story. I love that the uh, Gospels support one another. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, it's like uh, when you stand on a corner and see a collision and somebody's on a different corner. So they're witnessing the same event, but they're, they're putting their perspective and when I read this story, it was, uh, it was this author's perspective that stood out to me. So Mark is talking about the man with the withered hand. We're going to talk today about a, a man who Jesus encounters who has a withered hand. I like the word withered. The translation that I'm reading out of uses the phrase deformed, but some translations say withered, and withered's really been on my heart the whole time studying this because, you know, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Is that correct? Steal, kill, and destroy. What's he destroying? He's destroying your faith, your victory, your dreams, your hopes. He's trying to deflate your relationship with God. He's trying to create a wedge between you and God. He's trying to create a, a, a ceiling on how far your faith can go. He wants you to believe that you have to live well below the privilege that God's offered you. You know, the thing is, is God has offered us so much more than we will ever tap into. The problem is we've been convinced that less than is somehow uh, holy. You know, if, you, if you're uh, humble and, and you have less than, all humble means is you're teachable. You know, the problem with the proud is you can't teach them a thing. They know everything already. 
But with the humble, what the Bible is saying by humility is the ability to be coached and directed and taught when the older teach the younger and the more mature teach the immature. Because sometimes age is not the measure of maturity, is it? But at the same time, God wants us to be humble enough to learn from others. I don't have all the answers. What I love about Pastor Matt is, you know, when, when you're under a pastor that is seeking God and pursuing God like our pastor, he's always teaching me something. You know, I, I'm... Uh, been saved for a long time and I still learn here and that's why I want to be here because he challenges me and expands my understanding and helps me to believe that we're not done yet you know there's 66 books in the Bible 40 authors and when you read the Bible no matter how many times you read it no matter how well you know it you know it's funny when you put ordained by your name people will say uh, uh, Jesus Webb what chapter and verse is that and I always feel like I'm on a game show because uh, I'm supposed to have everything memorized, and I, I really don't, you know. There are things that I used to know that I've forgotten. I slept since then, and some of it's uh, drained out. I don't know. I thought, you know, something else was happening, but I guess all that moisture coming out of my ear was just all the knowledge going out on my pillow at night. I don't know what happened there. But here's the thing about this. Um, when we think of withered, we think of something that's not thriving, right? We think of something that's been denied water, like a plant. My wife has been, uh, uh, you know, a green thumb, and, and I, I don't know, you know, why she has a green thumb, and mine's black, you know. I, if I touch her plant, it turns yellow all of a sudden. But, but if, uh, if she, uh, you know, she just has that right knack for the right moisture, the right amount of sun, or whatever, she's done well with orchids. Some people can't do anything with orchids, but she's done well with orchids. We don't have any currently, but she has a plant that was given to her by her employer when she uh, left their service. She was given a plant. You know how they give you a plant with three or four plants in a pot, and they got it from a florist or something? And, and you think, yeah, that'll last a week or two. She's had it for 15 years, and it's still thriving. And, and she repots them once in a while, and we've gotten different plants from different people, and they just continue to thrive. And we've got some out in the heat. You know, we've got a few potted plants out in the front of the house by the entry. And if they don't get water at the proper time, you can see them just sort of wilt. You know what I mean? They just wither a little. And you know, ooh, that needs moisture. You can overwater a plant, which is what I do. You know, by the time I'm done with the plant, you could probably put a goldfish in the soil. But, uh, you know, you can tell you did that because the color of the plant changes. It doesn't agree with the plant. And all of a sudden, it is turning yellow or brown or something's wrong. And it's like, well, uh, you know, this plant didn't come with scuba gear. Let off on the water a little bit, and, and it'll be okay. And Connie will straighten me out every time with that. But here's the thing. Wither means not thriving. It's, it's, you know, wilting. Have you ever seen somebody spoke to in a way that they wilted? I, I hate to hear parents uh, say, you know, I always told my children, you can do anything you believe you can do. If you, if you, and that may sound ridiculous, but I, I think parents can cast as big a net as they want to. If you go get the education, if you do the hard work, if you do whatever is required, you can, you can do it. You can reach for the stars. God made us so creative, so capable, so able, and we live in a culture that is very liberating in that regard. You can uh, just about do what you decide and put your mind to doing. It's amazing. You know, I was just watching a little bit about Walt Disney's story. He moved to a a town when he was in his childhood and he looked down Main Street and he literally saw the Main Street that we see if we go to Disney World or Disneyland. 
He saw it in this little town. They had lived in Chicago before. They moved to Kansas City after. But it was that one town that changed him. And he saw, he encapsulated a vision of something. And it stuck with him. And he created Disneyland from his mind. He didn't like uh, how sometimes when you went to a carny, they were dirty, uh, you know, a lot of litter. You can't go 30 feet from a garbage can in Disney World without finding another garbage can. It's amazing because... You know, he wanted it to be clean. They don't sell chewing gum there because they want it to be clean and not a bunch of sticky everywhere. And it's just amazing. His vision came to pass. So if you can get it in your mind, if you can believe it in your heart, you can do just amazing things. You know, somebody had to figure out how to get us on the moon. It wasn't John F. Kennedy, but John F. Kennedy stepped out and said, by the end of this decade, you know, before this decade is gone, he was gone, but the vision wasn't gone. And in 1969, they put a man on the moon. I met a man from that process. He was an engineer with part of the plan to get there. And he said, they literally put us in a room and said, figure it out. Can you imagine that? Figure it out. Figure what out? 250,000 miles away and we got to get up out of this atmosphere and fly on over there and then figure out how to land and we got to breathe in a place with no atmosphere and, 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 yeah. And he was part of it, part of the plan. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just speak it. It's amazing. When you say, I can or I can't, you're absolutely right. It's the truth. But you know, the devil is in the business of depriving you. When you open your Bible, somebody's going to call you up and say, Hey, I haven't talked to you for a while. I just thought I'd chat for the next three hours. You know, you open your Bible and somebody starts ringing the doorbell. Wouldn't you like to get a, a you know, free cable service? Wouldn't you like that? And then, the, you know, you go to your knees to pray. And then your child comes and pulls on your sleeve. Mommy, I'm hungry. You know, I mean, it's just... The devil will deprive you of the moisture that will keep you thriving. The Lord wants the Holy Spirit to flow through you. And so many times, the reason we have not is because we don't know what we're capable of having. We haven't been in touch with the Lord. We're not listening to God. So many times, you know, you, you're just ready to open that Bible in your lap, and then somebody pulls up the remote and clicks it on some uh, episode, and you go, oh, I haven't seen that one. And before you know it, you're closing the book, and you're watching that episode with them, and somebody comes home with Chinese, and somebody says, let's go out and go for a walk. This, that, the devil does not want you to realize who you are. He wants your faith to wither. And he doesn't want hope to thrive. He doesn't want you to see what's possible. But God is ready to fill your dreams with possibilities. You say, well, my time's passed. Wait a minute, let's see. Okay. No, your time's not up. If there's a pulse and a breath, God has plans for you. It doesn't matter how old you are. I remember when I was uh, a young man just starting out in ministry, and I wrote it in the cover of one of my Bibles. I wrote in there, Brother Case's Gift. Brother Case was a retired missionary. He'd had a stroke, and he had one arm that, you know, he would... Uh, Brother Case, Brother Case uh, came to our church, and he said, you know, I have physical difficulties, and 
my stroke has impaired me, and I'm not in the mission field anymore. I'm kind of a retired missionary, and I was feeling sorry for myself. And the Lord said, why aren't you inspiring new missionaries to take your place? Why aren't you passing the torch? Why aren't you coming out and telling the stories of the great things that God did while you were on the field so that they will strive to do great things on the field as well? And he came to our church and said, I just want to repent to all of you that I wasn't here sooner to tell you God has a plan for your life. When, who's the hiding place? What's her name? Corey Tin Boom. Corey Tim Boone had been all over the world. As a matter of fact, she was called a tramp for the Lord, tramping around the world, you know, to share her faith after being in a Nazi concentration camp, losing much of her family to uh, the concentration camps and to the Nazis. She went around telling her testimony, and she even reconciled with one of the guards from the camp where her family perished. And she shared the gospel all over the world. Her pastor was the, the founder of Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith. And Chuck Smith came to her home for a home visit because she was housebound now. And Corey was, was crying. And Chuck said, Corey, what's the matter? And she says, well, Pastor Smith, I'm in bed and I can't get up. And I used to be God's tramp for the Lord, you know, going out there and spreading the gospel and sharing my testimony and spreading the faith. And I'm stuck in this bed. And Chuck said, Corey, you know the needs all over the world. You've been all over the world, and you've seen the need in different ministries and different cultures and different places throughout this world. You know what's going on in the hot spots throughout the world, spiritually speaking. You can pray from your bed. And she lit up. She lit up, and she said, you're right, Pastor. I'm not done yet. The devil wants you to believe you're done. The devil wants to believe you're defeated. The devil wants you to believe that your hope doesn't matter. You don't have any. You've made too big a mistake. Sometimes we fill the room with our mistakes and we tell everybody about our mistakes or our failures. I remember one person commented, uh, you know, that Tim's a pretty nice guy, but all he talks about is his divorce. I would greet people like, hi, my name's divorce. I mean, uh, it's Tim. Tim, yeah. And, and it was that heavy on me for quite some time. But, but that doesn't define me. That's just a story of part of my journey. I went into helping men in recovery, and for 10 years I was a rescue mission chaplain. I never did drugs, alcohol, never did it. Never used anything that wasn't over-the-counter or prescribed to me. Uh, and so I, I never even smoked a cigarette. I'm a church kid. I never... Never smoked a cigarette. The only cigarette I ever held in my hand was made out of candy. It was sugar. It was, and then, you know what? And when I can find those, I can, I'm a three-pack-a-day guy. You know, I just, I love them little cigarettes. They're crunchy and sweet. And uh, if you find any, I'll buy them from you because I'm addicted to those little cigarettes. You know, but uh, but I've never had one with tobacco in it. I've never smoked or puffed on a cigar or anything like that. I've got other habits and issues, you understand. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm addicted to sugar. It's probably those cigarettes when I was young. But, um, but the point is, I could relate to all the loss. I'd lost my ministry at the time. I had lost my family. I had uh, lost the church that I loved because it all happened in a messy way. 
and uh, so I was, I was at a loss. And so my dreams and my hopes, and they withered. And at that time in the assemblies, you couldn't even remarry as a minister. I had, uh, was justified. I could keep my ordination unless I remarried, and then they would take it away. And so I remarried, but I had to change denominations. And then because of a circumstance, I had to change denominations again. And then the circumstance changed, and the second denomination mailed my credential back, and then the assemblies called and said, we've changed our opinion, and I was able to come back to the assemblies of God and be ordained. So I thank God for, you know, men that didn't compromise but looked into the Scripture and wisely decided that there are, there are reasons that are acceptable. But in that time, in that season, my dreams withered. And uh, my hope was deflated. And the devil had a big old time with me. You know, the devil sat on my shoulder after my divorce and said, your church doesn't want you. Your wife doesn't want you. Well, it just seems appropriate to say that God wouldn't want you. Now, that's a lie from the devil, isn't it? But there was a short season when I believed that. And it took, you know, friends encouraging me and just spending time with the Lord to get past that. But, you know, the thing we need to understand is the devil will do anything he can. Just imagine this guy with a, just a withered up old hand. You know, I, I've seen, have you seen those hands where arthritis had just curled them around and, and the, the knuckles are big from the arthritis and, and maybe there's no, just hardly any meat on the bones and they just, they've been down a lot of miles and, and maybe that hand was just all twisted and deformed and turned around. And here's the thing I want you to understand. You're never without hope. Your dreams are never uh, over. Uh, you, you need to understand sometimes your dreams change direction. I believe after my divorce, I was more productive as a chaplain than I ever was as a pastor. Because in church, people can voluntarily move forward in their faith, or they can begrudgingly or stubbornly stay behind. But in a program, if it's a good program, they force you through steps and stages. And if you don't progress, you don't get the privilege of the next step. So I found that there were often people who went from being addicted to one substance or another or going through things that put them on the street or being released from prison. I saw these people become deacons on boards and teachers in churches and the person in the Sunday school class who could answer most of the questions. I saw these people grow quickly and come from being out and out, you know, sinful folk to the saint that the pastor could leave the keys with and say, I want to take a break. I need you to watch my church for a month. I had a guy who did not understand the gospel when I presented it to him. And within a year, his pastor took a break and left him in charge of the church. Talk about inflating a dream. Talking about God supercharging your dreams and your hopes. God can do anything with anybody at any time in any way he wants to. I love the series that pastor's been preaching on. I love this idea that you're hiding from the enemy. Don't you feel kind of yellow down in the, you know, the, the threshing? You know, you're, you're trying to get the chaff off your wheat. You're trying to thresh it. And you're down in a wine press hiding out. Probably listening to see if you hear any hooves or soldiers or anything. And then you throw it up so the wind would carry the chaff away. And then the, the grain would come back down. So here you are feeling like a real coward. And an angel shows up and says, Hey, mighty man of God. Hey, hero. Hey, 
And, and we're like, uh, what? God. Do you not understand I'm the least of 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 the least? Just ask anybody, I'm the least. And God said, oh, no, you're not. I see who you really are. You're a mighty man of God. You're a hero. You're something I can work with. What? God? Do you know anything about me? He said, yeah, I know how many beats a minute your heart's running. I know how many times your lungs have inflated and deflated. I have the hairs on your head numbered. Oh, there went 5,287. Okay. I keep him busy, you know. But the point is, he saw Gideon in a whole different light than Gideon saw Gideon. If you'll just listen to the Lord, he can show you a side of you you didn't know existed. It's so important that you get this. You say, oh, no, my life's withered up by divorce. My life's withered up by drugs use. My life's withered up by criminal activity. My, my, my life has a record. My, my life has, has been destroyed by innuendo and, and, and gossip. My, my life is, is so, uh, you don't understand. My, my life is beyond dreaming. Somebody needs to tell you, get over yourself. My God is amazing. My God is not limited. My God is only restrained by what? Me. The only thing holding back God is you. You have a free will, and if you tell God no, he'll go, okay. If you tell God you got the wrong guy, he'll say, I'll wait till you're sure. But if you say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way, he'll say, let's go, I'm ready. I've got something in store. Now let's look at this story. In chapter 3 of the book of Mark, it says, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a withered hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Okay, I want you to see a couple things. Jesus, wherever he went, saw the need in the room. The religious people saw who they were jealous of. Jesus sees the need. God always goes straight to the need. The religious people see the one they're jealous of. Oh, they were watching him. Let's see if we can catch him this time. Let's see if we can catch Jesus. Would he heal this man's hand on the Sabbath? What a question. Isn't that amazing? They're not saying, can he? Will he? They're saying, can we catch him because he? Isn't that amazing? They're not going to be in awe of God performing a miracle They're so jealous of him, his authority, his power, his ability, the fact that he's real and they're a hypocrite. They're so jealous, so envious that they're more willing to catch him doing something good than they are appreciating the fact that he did it. No sympathy for the man with the withered hand. 
Here's a man that, you know, maybe can't hold a fork or can't, can't do work without pain. Maybe a man that can't, you know, can't accomplish his daily uh, responsibilities because of this withered hand. Jesus sees a need. They see an opportunity to accuse him. Wow. What? If we spend time judging other people, what's wrong with us? Aren't you glad that God says, I choose not to judge you for what you've done? You know, it's kind of like that story with the, the man who had the immense debt. He owed millions. And they were about to collect, which would be to put him, his family, his servants, his dog, his cat, his goldfish. They were all going to debtor's prison and they'd have to work it off. And it was such a big debt, he would never be clear of it. So he'd spend the rest of his life in servitude because of his poor money management ways. And he goes and he, he falls on the mercy of the court and he says, please forgive my debt. And the king says, I, I don't know why, but I'm in a good mood today. It feels good to have the power to forgive you and relieve you of that huge responsibility that you'll never be clear of. And then the man goes out and finds another servant and says, give me my $30. And he says, I don't have it. Can you wait till payday? And he drags him down and throws him into servitude. And the word gets back to the king, and he drags him in and says, you're not getting free until you've paid every last penny. God wants us to understand, if we can't allow others' withered hands to be healed, others' dreams to be restored, others' hopes to be refilled, others' opportunities to be represented, if we can't allow others to be elevated in the kingdom of God, then he may very well take away what we've been given. I don't want my forgiveness to hinge on somebody else's stuff. I want my forgiveness to be hinged on the fact that I'm okay with God and I'm going to keep it that way. But the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged likewise. Oh, the church doesn't like that. We want to be able to categorize people. We want to be able to separate them by groups. We want to be able to judge them by the way they dress, by the way they act, by where they're from, by what they do. We want to be able to separate people that just don't measure up to my standards. What? You didn't measure up to God's standards. I didn't measure up to God's standards. What brought me up to God's standards was the blood of Jesus Christ, was the grace of God, was the ability of God to say, I love you in your mess, and if you'll be sorry for what you've done, I'll show you where you can go. And it'll be up, not down. I don't want to get what I have coming. I want to get what I've got purchased under the blood of Jesus Christ. Do not be crippled by your past. Do not be crippled by your failure. Do not. So many people will remind you, especially the devil. Don't you love the family members that can't forget? The friends that won't forgive? The people who just won't let go of what God's already let go of? If God let go of it and you have God's favor and God's esteem and God's high uh, opinion of you, whose opinion do you need? Whose esteem do you want? Who do you need to look favorably on you before you believe that God said you're loved, you're highly favored, you're the apple of God's eye? 
Who do you need to esteem you before you're esteemed? We wait for the right person to shake our hand. Well, he didn't shake my hand. He didn't invite me over for lasagna. He didn't say nice things to me. The pastor referred to them in his sermon, but why didn't he refer to me? God's saying, hey, why do you diminish what I think of you? Why do you need anybody else to say you're okay? If God says you're okay, you don't need anybody. And the truth is, if you want to succeed in life, the Bible says it's unfair to compare yourselves among yourselves. It is unwise. Do not allow yourself to stand next to another and say, well, uh, uh, he, uh, forget it. God has an individual relationship with you. My daughters used to hate it when I said, you know, you're my favorite. Oh, you say that to my sister all the time. <laughs> yeah, but you are my favorite. You know how many girls and boys are in this world? You're my favorite. I'm God's favorite. You didn't know. If you get the memo, just don't cry or anything. I'm God's favorite. And he'll say the same thing to you. His love has the ability to expand and embrace all of us. God does not look on the pastor as more important than you. He loves us equally. Which one of your children would you want to cut out of the herd? Eh, I've just decided number three. <laughs> just not going anywhere. I'm done with that one. That's what I thought. Makes sense, too. Sorry, we'll miss you. We love our children. Do your children aggravate you? Don't you think God is, well, I don't think he gets nearly as aggravated as I do with my children sometimes, but I do think that God must chuckle a lot when we think we're so smart or we think we're so ahead of God on the curve. We're not. God's already been where we're going, and yet we think we're going to lead him there. Let me show you how it's going to be done, God. And he just sort of, go ahead. I'll be waiting there when you're ready to get back on track. God, help us listen to God. He's talking, but we're not letting the volume get low enough to hear him. He's not going to scream over everything. But I'm telling you, the devil will allow the noise around you to cause things to wither, cause things to feel neglected, cause things to be taken from you. The devil wants you to believe that you're less than. And God wants you to believe, I've made you more than an overcomer. Let me explain an overcomer, more than an overcomer. Okay, the Bible says we're more than an overcomer. Let me talk about more than an overcomer. Is anybody here old enough to know who Muhammad Ali is? I knew a couple of you would. You, you've heard of him, haven't you? There's a, there's a cool poster of him standing over Sonny Liston where he's knocked him out, you know, and it's just... You know who's more than an overcomer? When Muhammad Ali would get out of the ring, even as good a boxer as he probably was, when he would get out of the ring, he'd have a fat lip, a swollen eye, a cut. He'd be bleeding. He'd be bruised. His kidneys would be hurting. He's been pounded. You know who's more than an overcomer? Mrs. Muhammad Ali. She just came and got the check. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus was bloodied on Calvary 
and we get to cash the check. I mean, think about that. That's more than a conqueror. He did the conquering. We get to cash the check. Isn't that awesome? You need to write that one down. You got that white paper in your Bible. That's what it's there for. If we had hymnals, I'd tell you to tear a page out, but we don't have those anymore, so... Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Would he heal the man's hand on the Sabbath? If he did, they planned to condemn him. I've met people that don't watch Christians to be inspired. They watch other Christians to catch them. They were watching Jesus not to see the miraculous happen. They were watching him to see if they could find a point where they could condemn him. Jesus said to the man, come and stand in front of everybody. First of all, Jesus doesn't have to go off in the corner. Okay, we're going we're gonna to pray for that withered hand, but we don't want to disturb these religious people. So why don't you come over here? Shh, shh. I think they're distracted. Okay, okay. This is what we're going to do. And then you're going to slip out the back door. We don't want anybody to see. The miraculous happens in the Bible so that everybody can see that God is who he said he is. That God is still on the throne. That God is still all powerful. That God is still all capable. God doesn't have to hide what he's doing. God doesn't mind standing in the middle of the public square and saying, come here. Come out here where everybody can see you. Come here. I know there are people that want to judge what God is doing. And so many times we retreat because of that. So many times we crumble under that. And we say, oh, they're looking on us. Who cares? Yeah, let's stand up for Jesus and let them see what he can do. God wants you not to be afraid. Did you ever hear Muhammad Ali talk smack? My goodness, he was, it was embarrassing. I'm so pretty. I'm so pretty. It was like, shut up. I want somebody to bust you in the mouth. And that's what it was for. It was to stir people up. You know what I mean? That was what all it was for. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. You can't touch me. You know, it was just, I remember all those days. I do. Get the rope-a-dope. We get the rope-a-dope going. We take care of you. And it's like, what? Help us to be bold enough to draw a crowd. Muhammad Ali didn't mind drawing a crowd. Why do we? Praying with a checker at Walmart, you'll, you'll get the attention of other people. We were over here, right here on Central at the Walmart, and... Connie and I were going down the soap aisle, you know, looking at Clorox and Tide and all that. And there was a man obviously in distress. We said, man, you look like you're hurting. He said, oh, yeah, I am. Can we pray with you? We didn't have to go, prayer, aisle four, prayer, aisle four, bring a bucket. You know, we just, we just walked over and said, can we pray with you? And you know what? He was grateful. He was just grateful. He wasn't mad. He wasn't pushed out of shape. 
This man with the withered hand had to come out into public with his withered hand. But he was filled with hope because Jesus was calling him out. He was filled and flooded with the imagination that things could be different. He said, come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and asked, is it legal to do good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing harm? I've seen harm done in the name of the Lord. But I'm telling you, God wants to do good. He wants us to be filled with compassion and love. He wants us to spread joy and peace. He doesn't want us to be critical Gossipy, judgmental. Quit sucking on that lemon and find the joy of the Lord. Find the joy. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Some people get so irritated by that. They're thinking, I'm sucking, sucking on a lemon every day. (laughs) Spit it out. It's taking the enamel off your teeth anyway. Come on. Your teeth are going to hurt because you did that. You'd be better off... Inviting God's joy to flood you. Is it legal to do good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing harm? I love Jesus' way of approaching. I've never never really been able to grasp it for myself. But whenever they were trying to entrap him, whenever they were trying to confront him, whenever they were trying to trick him, of course he was God, you know, but he would ask questions. Is it better to do good or harm? What do you think? It seems obvious, doesn't it? Not to them. It's like, oh, foiled again. It's almost like a cartoon, you know? Like, like uh, they got over on uh, the bad guy once again. And Jesus just had that ability not to answer their question, but to ask the right one in return. We don't always need to answer the devil. The devil wants to put you on defense. We're on offense. We're pushing forward. We're not, you know, defending our spot. We're pressing in. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So I just can't imagine the gates of hell going. Instead, the gates of hell are with, we're prayed up and read up, and they bolted the gate, and we go, wham, wham, wham. And we deliver the lost into the light. The gates of hell cannot stop God's plan if God's people get a hold of it. But instead, we're in the shadow of his big gate. And we're going, oh, it's so scary. No, he's scared of you. I saw it on Facebook. I'm sorry, I do have Facebook, but you know. I realize that takes me down 10 points, you know, spiritually speaking, but... But I saw a meme on there that said, I was afraid of the dark until I realized the dark is afraid of me. I've said it before and I'll say it many times more, but we're the light. If you turn all these lights out, you know, and all the windows are shaded, and especially once it gets a little later in the evening, we can get it pretty dark here in the absence of light. But you only have to come in with a candle and the light begins to retreat. Now, some people don't like that. Jesus said they would have had a cloak for their sins if he hadn't come. When the light comes, it does expose. So a lot of people hide from the light. Have you ever had that experience in the morning? My dad was not the kind that would say, Tim, it's time to get up. 
No, he was the kind that would flip on the light and say, sit on the edge of your bed. So you're like, oh, really? Do you have to do that? Is there another plan? Get up. Of course, he had to leave before I did, so he wanted to be sure I was up before he went out the door. But sometimes the world's like that. Sometimes the light comes on harsh. And that's why God brings it on with compassion. You know, Jesus is like that, that light. They made an alarm clock that's like the sun. It just gradually opens up. You know, it just, it's dim at first and then it comes on. That's why he says, you know, some plow and others plant and another waters. What's he saying? It's a process of bringing people into the light sometimes. It doesn't have to be like they're in an interrogation. Bonk! Did I see you sinning on Central the other night? Bonk! Why, yes, you did. I suppose I should repent. It just doesn't work that way. It's when they see that you have something worth and of value. When they see in you something they lack. When they see in you something they're searching for. And they say, how did you get that? How is it that you're so calm when everybody else gets crazy at that moment? How is it that you can forgive when they've done something I know hurt you? How is it that you can be kind to somebody that's so rude? It's not me. It's Jesus in me. You want to meet him? Because he's amazing. My hand was withered, and he said, come stand out in front of everybody. And there were people that looked at me like, what's he doing here? And then Jesus said, Is this day a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily because he was deeply disturbed by their hard hearts. And by the way, the only ones that we seem to see in the New Testament that he's disturbed at are the religious. He has great patience with the sinner, he has terrible impatience with the religious. When they twist his words and give the impression that God intends for life to be hard, he gets angry. When they take advantage of people to their own personal benefit, he gets angry. He was turning over tables in the temple because they were profiting from the gospel unnecessarily. He hated it. He was angry. We see Jesus' anger at religious people who are profiting from their exchange of temple coins for real money. Charging people, overcharging people for doves and other sacrifices. Finding a way to use the temple as an avenue to profit. God help us. He looked at their hard hearts and then he said to the man, reach out your hand. This is what the man expected. There you go. But by the time it got out there, he said, there it was. You know, there's no faith involved if you already see it. He might have thought, ooh, this is going to be embarrassing. They're going to see how gnarled up I am. He might have kept that under his coat. He might have kept that covered up. He might have kept it in a glove. He might have, he might have put it in his pocket most of the time. But now all of a sudden, everybody was going to see how withered up his life was. You may think that people see your life and they judge you by it, but you know God loves you wherever you're at. Right. And you reach out to Jesus and he can restore it to wholeness. That's who God is. He doesn't care if your family judges you. He doesn't care 
if religious people judge you. He could care less. They probably aren't going to be in heaven with you anyway. Ooh. There aren't any religious people here, are there? Look around. You can tell. They'll be puckered up. I don't see any. I don't see any. Everybody's happy, so we're good. The man reached out his hand, and it became normal again. At once, the Pharisees went away and met. A miracle has happened, folks. A miracle. Let's put it in the church bulletin. Jesus heals. No, no. The Pharisees went away and met with supporters of Herod to discuss plans for killing him. They were so jealous. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. That's just one more reason. Let's kill him. They stirred up the crowd in front of Pilate. And Pilate said, what should I do with this man? I don't find any fault in him. And they said, crucify him. If you don't crucify him, you're no friend of Caesar. And he'd already been scolded by Caesar once because of, uh, well, the temple was on the same height as the praetorium. And Pilate's guys had been honored and their shields had an image of Caesar on it. So they displayed them. They had them out on display. And they were all shined up. But it was at the same height as the temple. So the religious leaders through Herod went to Caesar and said, they're mocking our God by putting their shields at the same level and the same height as our temple. And Pilate had been scolded. So when they said, if you don't crucify him, you're no friend of Caesar, they were referring to him already being disciplined. And to be a friend of Caesar's meant you had a ring, and as a political leader, you were in good standing with the Roman government. And he didn't want to lose that. So he yielded to the religious leaders who said, crucify him. He came out with a basin and washed his hands. And he said, I have no part in this, but history would never wash the blood off his hands. He was part of it. God help us not to listen to the religious. Stand up in Jesus' name and be declaring God loves you. God has great compassion. God is an ending in his joy, in his peace. But he won't tolerate a critical spirit. You want to know what to do with the gossip when they come to you with something really juicy? Join hands with them and pray for that person. That sounds pretty bad. We should pray. They won't be back. Not with their gossip. Maybe with a prayer request, but not with their gossip. Jesus and his disciples went out to the lake, followed by a huge crowd from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idinamon, and east of the Jordan River, and even as far away as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him for themselves. So the story today is about two groups. It's about the religious and it's also about the man with the withered hand and Jesus' ability to heal. God knows your circumstance. And maybe there's something in your life that needs to be healed. Maybe there's a dream that's been deflated. Maybe there's a calling that's been suppressed. Maybe, maybe there is something in your dreams that has been blockaded by the devil. He's boarded the door shut.
but God can flick open any door he wants to. It's time for you to believe that God has greater. We're the head and not the tail. The latter is greater than the former. God has bigger, not less than. God's not wanting your life to shrink away. God's wanting it to blow up. What do you want? And, you know, there's a lot of responsibility if I really, if God, you know, if God, if God asked me to do that and I really did it, that's, that's a lot of responsibility to love people that are, you know, unlovely, to love my enemies. I don't know. You know, if you lead one person to Jesus and they get saved, one person, you'll be spoiled for this life because you've done something eternal. This life is temporary. I don't care how well you build a house. I don't care how expensive your car is. I don't care how good your clothes are or who they're made by. All of that will fall away one day. But one soul who says yes to Jesus will be in eternity forever with God. Wouldn't it be amazing to do that? All right. So, what excuse are you putting on Letting God have his way in your life. What excuse is stopping you? You know, excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. The devil is the father of all lies. And the devil will do anything he can to stop your view of heaven. Anything he can to interfere with your affection for God. Anything he can to stop the riches of heaven from flowing into your pockets. God has great and wonderful things in store But the devil wants to put up a fog between you and the truth. The devil wants you to believe a lie and not what the Word of God says. The devil wants you to make excuses for why God hasn't fulfilled his end of the deal. God has always fulfilled his end of the deal. God has always come through. God has always delivered. And if you didn't receive delivery, what's the devil done to you? What's the devil done to deceive you? to diminish you, to cause you to wilt. Oh, I guess that's for some, but not for others. The Bible says God's no respecter of persons. Have you ever heard a tongue in interpretation or maybe maybe Pastor Emily or somebody has called somebody out and said, the Lord says X, Y, Z, and you say, wow, that really fits me, even though it's to another person. It's for you too. God's no respecter of persons. If he'll do something for them, he'll do something for you. If it sounds like it belongs to you, take hold of that and say, I'm going to own that too. Because God loves you. And God is not the kind that will give ice cream to one of his kids and then ask you to eat dirt. God loves you. And if he has enough ice cream for one, he has enough for all. God wants you to be included in every blessing. God wants you to be included. So don't take a backward step. Don't say, oh, that's probably for them, but not for me. Don't make an excuse. The devil will give you plenty. You you don't know what I've done. You you don't know where I've been. You, You don't know where I come from. My people aren't the kind of people that get good things. Tell the devil to shut up. Raise his rent and kick him out. He's not a good tenant. Get him out of your life. Don't, re- don't let him make a nest on your shoulder. Send him on down the road. Send him packing and say, I don't have time for you, devil. 
God says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm called according to His purpose. I'm part of His family. I've got my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm going to spend eternity with Him. I have nothing to fear. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So let's let God have His way. Amen? Let's bow our heads.